Hi guys, and welcome back to the Mystery and Comedy Old Time Radio Podcast. Please welcome back to the show, the Queen of Suspense herself, Miss Agnes Moorhead. You may have heard Miss Moorhead on my previous episodes, The Last Roads of Summer, The Tale of the Sisters, and the first episode she did by herself. And if you haven't heard those episodes, I would highly recommend going back and listening to those episodes first. But tonight we bring back Miss Moorhead in two episodes guaranteed to chill our spines. In this first episode, she plays a woman who is driving her husband up through town where he has clients to meet but unbeknownst to her husband not only are his clients not home but he does not know that his loving wife is planning on murdering him and as he dies she becomes haunted by the scraping noise his nails make as he is dying and it is called the 13th sound And in this next episode, Miss Moorhead plays a woman who is going through the tough battle of mental illness. But her husband, who is a doctor and who means well, does not believe that she has mental illness. So, they are going to see his sister and stay with her for three months in a room that she has fixed up for them so they go to the house and she sees the first room and loves it deeply and wants that to be their room but her sister-in-law has already fixed up a room that they are going to be staying in and she automatically does not like the wallpaper because she thinks that the wallpaper is haunted and she has weird vibes coming from that room and later on in the episode She really believes that things are coming out of that wallpaper to do her harm and becomes so subdued by the wallpaper and so overwhelmed by her mental illness that her mental illness takes over her mind and she believes that she is the lady who has been seen through the wallpaper and it is called the yellow wallpaper i hope you guys enjoy miss agnes moorhead in her two episodes guaranteed to chill our spines and once again guys enjoy the show thanks Yes, Roma wines taste better because only Roma selects from the world's greatest wine reserves. 
for your pleasure. And now, Roma Wines, R-O-M-A. Roma Wines present... Suspense! Tonight, Roma Wines bring you Miss Agnes Moorhead in The Thirteenth Sound. A suspense play produced, edited, and directed for Roma Wines by William Spear. Suspense, radio's outstanding theater of thrills, is presented for your enjoyment by Roma Wines. That's R-O-M-A, Roma Wines. Those better-tasting California wines enjoyed by more Americans than any other wine. For friendly entertaining, for delightful dining. Yes, right now, a glass full would be very pleasant as Roma Wines bring you Agnes Moorhead in a remarkable tale of... Suspense! We were driving too fast, but I knew that if I slowed down at all, I would begin to tremble. And so, although the road was torturous, climbing steeply up the mountain, I kept my foot pressed hard on the gas pedal... Out of the corner of my eye, I could see that my husband was looking quietly into the green valley far below. He looked peaceful now. He had made his speech about driving too fast. I'd asked him to be quiet, and now he was quiet. I wondered what he would do if I stopped the car and told him right then that we were driving up to the Johnson house so that I might kill him. I parked the car on the highway at the foot of the dirt road leading up to the house. We walked quickly behind the heavy trees. My husband stopped once to wipe the dust off his shoes. I hurried him on, and we soon arrived at the front door. As planned, I'd forgotten the key. I did open my purse and look, however, and that gave me the opportunity to release the safety catch on the gun I had borrowed from my husband's belongings. I suggested that we try one of the windows. He agreed, and we slowly made our way through the underbrush that was growing wild at the side of the stucco building until we reached the first floor window. The window was set high above the ground, and my husband had to stretch his body to reach it. I waited until he had his back to me, with his hands raised high in the air, reaching for the window frame. Then I opened my purse, took out the gun, aimed very carefully at a spot just in the center of his left shoulder blade, and pulled the trigger four times. He didn't fall right away. He had had his fingers over the window ledge, ready to unfasten the catch when the bullets hit him. With some terrible effort, he dug his nails into the stucco and tried to keep from dying. I couldn't move. I wanted to scream, but my throat felt paralyzed. He tried to turn his face and look at me, but he hadn't that much life left. At last, he fell. screaming finally. I felt better for it. I bent and looked at my husband's body. He was quite dead. I wiped off the gun, his gun, and threw it behind an acacia bush. Then I walked back to the car, slowly and carefully removing any of my footprints which showed in the loose dirt of the road. At the car, I emptied some cigarette butts from the dashboard ashtray onto the road, dusted my shoes, then turned around drove home.
I put the car in the garage, went in and had my shower, and lay down in the library to wait. A few minutes after the grandfather clock struck 11, the telephone rang. Hello? Uh, Miss Skinner? This is she. Yeah, Miss Jonathan Brown, Sheriff's Office. I uh, have some bad news for you. My husband? Yes, ma'am. He's been killed. Miss Skinner? Hello, Miss Skinner. You all right? I waited quietly for a moment. And I let the phone fall to the floor. I listened until I heard Jonathan Brown hang up. Then I replaced my telephone on its stand, went into the kitchen for some ice, which I put in a large Turkish towel. I then arranged myself carefully and attractively on the living room divan and waited again. Miss Skinner. In here, please. Oh, oh yes. Thank you. You all right, Miss Skinner? I... Well, that, 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 that was a stupid thing for me to do, breaking the news that way, you know. I'm all right. Well, I came over as soon as you, you know, uh, dropped the phone. Well, I, I, I felt faint suddenly. Well, and no wonder... Tell me what happened, Mr... Uh, Brown, uh, Jonathan Brown, Sheriff's Office. Mr. Brown, please sit down. Oh, thank you. Well, your husband was up at the Johnson house this afternoon, as well as we can figure, uh, up there on the side of the mountain, you know, and uh, he must have been trying to get into the window, and uh, somehow somebody, well, shot him. <laughs> uh, you sure you want me to tell you? I'm sorry. Go on, please. Well, we uh, looked around the place, couldn't see anything. Though we found the, uh, you know, uh, weapon, it was a gun, found in the brush near where he was, and uh, uh, no footprints or anything except tire marks down the main highway and a bunch of cigarette butts where someone must have been sitting in the car uh, waiting, you know. Those were my tire marks. You, you was up there? Well, I had an appointment to meet my husband this afternoon at the foot of the road leading up to the Johnson house. He had said that he'd had some business to attend to and would get a ride with his other person. He was very mysterious about it. Mm -hmm. I waited for an hour or more at the foot of the road. You were so clever to recognize the meaning of those cigarette stubs. Well, he... And when he didn't come, I thought perhaps I was mistaken about the appointment. And so I drove home. Oh, to think of it, perhaps... And gone up to the house, I might have saved my poor dear husband's life. Yeah, they're not, not terrible talk, I know. I'm all right. Easy, I'm all right. I'll be all right. Well, now, don't you worry about a thing, Miss Skinner. The sheriff's office will round up the guilty party or parties and have them brought to trial, you know. Yes, I'm sure. I slept well that night for the first time in ten years. My husband, during his lifetime, had snored loudly and steadily, and during his later years, he had acquired the nervous and distressing habit of grinding his teeth in his sleep. This night, all was quiet and peaceful in the house. In my house. And, as I say, I slept beautifully. The next few days were also beautifully quiet. A few photographers and newspaper men, but they were kind and gentle and didn't make too much bother. Finally, Mr. Jonathan Brown called to say that he would send a car for me on Friday morning, the next day, as it turned out, to take me to the coroner's inquest. Small courtroom was crowded, and almost everyone there eyed me with great sympathy. 
The inquest proceeded evenly. There was as yet no evidence as to the identity of my husband's murderer. I again stated that I had left the tire marks and cigarette stubs at the foot of the road that led to the Johnson house. No, I hadn't heard a shot. No, my dear husband had no enemies. Then... I've had this blackboard brought to court so that I might show the position of the body when found. I think it might be of interest. Uh, very well. Proceed. The uh, body was found just below the first story window on the left side of the house. The dead man was obviously trying to gain admittance, you know. He, uh, he didn't die immediately, as I will show you, but stayed alive long enough to try to keep himself from falling, since marks from each of his fingernails were found running down the side of the building. Uh, here, then, is the window sill. And here are the marks of his fingernails. And here is the spot where the body lay when it was discovered. And here is the house. As he talked, he watched me. Ground floor. And I didn't know why until I heard the first scrape of the chalk against the blackboard. For one awful moment, it was the sound that had been made by my husband as he tried so desperately to hold himself alive. I found myself tightly holding the wooden table in front of me. My arms and body tense. Trying not to faint. Since a large deposit of the dried stucco from the building is found under each of the victim's fingernails, I I believe I can best illustrate the manner of the victim's last moments with a physical illustration. Uh, suppose I am the victim, you know, and uh, this blackboard is the side of the building. We hear the gunshots, and then the victim slowly sinks to the ground. For suspense, Roma Wines are bringing you Agnes Moorhead in the 13th Sound. Roma Wines' presentation tonight in radio's outstanding theater of thrills... Suspense. Between the acts of suspense, this is Ken Niles for Roma Wines. Tomorrow on Valentine's Day, delight your Valentine with a gift that's smart, lavish, and in perfect taste. Say it with Roma Champagne, traditional wine of romance. Brilliant, bubbling Roma Champagne is an unforgettable token of your thoughtfulness. For pale gold, sprightly dry Roma California Champagne, made by the world-famous Charmat bulk process, is sparkling wine at its finest. Yes, to make any golden moment live forever, say it with Roma Champagne. And remember, you enjoy an exclusive difference, a better taste in Roma Champagne. For Roma crushes only the choicest grapes, especially selected for fine champagne. Then Roma Vintner's unmatched skill, the magic of necessary time, and America's finest winemaking resources guide this great treasure to rare taste luxury. Finally, from the famed Roma Champagne cellars to you, comes better-tasting Roma Champagne. So this Valentine's Day, say it with Roma. Roma Champagne, golden masterpiece of Roma, the greatest name in wine.
And now, Roma Wines bring back to our Hollywood soundstage Agnes Moorhead as Mrs. Sally Skinner and William Johnstone as Jonathan Brown in The Thirteenth Sound. A tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. I must have been taken home from the inquest. For the next consciousness I had, I was lying on the guest bed. In the corner sat Mr. Jonathan Brown. He must have seen my eyes open. Mm. Feeling better? Yes, thank you. I'm terribly sorry. Oh, that's all right. Quite a strain, you know. Yes, it was quite a strain. The corner asked whether it'd be all right to go on without you. Everybody seemed agreed, you know, so uh, we finished up while the doc looked you over. What happened? Oh, he said you'd be all right. Shock. I meant about uh, my husband. Oh, and his death at the hand of persons or persons unknown, you know. Oh. Is there anything further I must do? Mm, not a thing, Miss Skinner. You've been very kind. Well, it's a terrible thing happened to you. Well, I'll be going now if there's nothing more you need from no, me. No, nothing, thank you. Well, goodbye then, and uh, don't you worry. We'll find who did it, you know. After he had left, I had the time to be angry at myself for my behavior at the inquest. What must the people have thought? To fade only from the noise of a piece of chalk on a blackboard? I wondered if Mr. Brown had suspected anything, because as I remembered back to earlier afternoon, he had been watching me as he drew those silly little diagrams on the board. He hadn't been looking anywhere else. Not at the coroner or at any of the reporters, not even at what he was doing. He'd been looking at me. Well, of course he was looking at me. He was showing his sympathy. I slowly allowed myself to return to my former position in the community. I was able now to do the things I'd always wanted to do, but had been restrained from doing by a certain attitude of my husband's. He had never liked entertaining. He didn't believe that we should belong to the country club and take a civic pride in the fact that our home was the largest and most beautiful in the community. In fact, it was his desire to sell our lovely home that caused me to finally take that complete and drastic step. The first evening that I accepted an outside invitation was for one of the Wednesday night evenings of bridge at our club. At my table were the president of the bank and his wife. As I sat down, I noticed that a window pane on my left was shattered. Good evening, Miss Gray. Miss Gray. Good evening, Miss Brown. Miss Skinner. Good evening, Mr. Brown. Well, I'm afraid I'm the culprit here. <laughs> uh, playing ball with the kids this afternoon, and I threw one right through your lovely window. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, but I got old Sam here. I brought him along with new painted glass, and he'll fix us up ship-shape no time at all. Uh, go ahead, Sam, right hey, over yes, there. Yes, Mr. Brown, sure. Don't mind me, folks. I'll be through here in just a jiffy. Don't worry about it. Oh, um, incidentally, Miss Skinner, I... Always meant to ask you whether or not you minded noises, uh, especially. Uh, sharp noises, like, you see, uh, chalk on a blackboard. I don't understand. Chalk on a blackboard? Uh, at the inquest, I, I always wondered about it. Uh, you fainted just when the chalk was scratching across the blackboard. I don't remember hearing it. I'm afraid I fainted before you drew any diagrams. Uh-huh. I assume that's what you were planning to do, draw diagram. Uh, that's what I was planning to do, yes, ma'am. Yes. Does he have to 
do that. There's something wrong, Miss Skinner. Does he have to do that? Oh, Miss... I can't. I can't. Mrs. Skinner. Again it had happened. And again when the noise was made, it sounded like my husband's fingernails scraping down the rough side of the Johnson house. And again, as I slipped into darkness, I could see that Mr. Brown was watching me. I stayed at home for the next few days. I canceled all appointments. The heat really was unbearable. In October, I resumed my activities. I began to see people again. I grew especially interested in chamber music. Through my activity, I arranged a musical evening to be given by a group of which I was the second vice president. They planned the formation of a Philharmonic Society eventually. I went to the musical alone, and I was studying my program when... Is uh, the seat taken? Uh... Oh, good evening, Mr. Oh, Mrs. Skinner, good evening. Didn't recognize you, ma'am. Well, I, I was to be joined Well, later. I, I'll just sit here a moment then. You know, I terribly terribly sorry about uh, the other night. Oh, there's really nothing at all for you to be sorry about. Well, now, it's very kind of you to say that, you know, but I I do feel guilty as all sin uh, being the cause of you getting sick. Well, like really, that, Mr. Brown, you know? I wasn't sick at all. Mr. Gregg told me I'd probably been affected by the heat. Oh. It was very close in the club that night, if you'll remember. Oh, yes, yes, ma'am, it was. It was hard. Well, just so I don't feel it was my fault. Oh, you know? no, <laughs> no. I don't want you to feel it was your fault. Yes, well, that, uh, that's very kind of you, know? Come on. If, if you don't mind, I'll stay here until ever holds this seat gets here. Oh, that's quite all right. We crave your indulgence and a certain open-mindedness uh, for giving a fair chance to the first piece uh, with, uh, uh, with which we're going to open our program this evening. Uh, the title of this piece is The Thirteenth Sound. And uh, the composer is uh, uh, Julian Carrillo. Uh, and this piece, because of the unorthodox nature of it, uh, created a veritable furor in New York City some weeks ago on the occasion of its uh, its uh, premiere. It's it's what you'd call, I guess, modern music. And the really unusual thing about it is that the instruments, uh, instead of playing as they usually do in Mozart, uh, Hayden, and such uh, classical veins, uh, play in quarter tones. Now, a quarter tone is somewhere uh, in between the other tones, uh, such as the uh, uh, we are accustomed to hearing it. Uh, so, on this uh, following piece, uh, the instruments are not playing, uh, as you would think, out of tune. Yeah, uh, this is the way it is supposed to sound. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so now the various members of the quartet uh, will tune their various instruments into these quarter tones. Uh, this is a short piece, but I know you're going to like it. Uh, tune up, gentlemen. This uh, should be very interesting. You think, Miss Skinner, the 13th sound. <laughs> ha have you heard it? Huh? No, no, I haven't. Oh, right. Right. Too hard again, Mrs. Skinner? 
does get stuffy here. Oh, I know. Right? Oh, it's hot in here. You look terribly pinky to sure you're all right. I'm quite a... Excuse me, will you let me out, please? Excuse me, please let me out. I left Mr. Brown sitting there. My man drove me home. I've never liked modern music. I locked all the doors and I turned this thing. I found a hammer and a piece of board. And I beat and beat and beat and beat on the board with a hammer as hard as I could. And finally the heavy, steady, safe pounding that I made drove the other sharp, shrill, awful noise from my mind. Then I turned out all the lights. Opened the windows. And went to sleep. I didn't sleep well, but I didn't stay awake either. I hadn't set the alarm next to my bed, and when I first awoke the next morning, for a minute I couldn't remember what had happened. I felt drugged. I got out of bed, put on a lovely chartreuse brocade housecoat, and started downstairs. The sun was shining outside. It was a beautiful day. Not the sort of day when you could be disturbed by unrelated noises. I felt grand when I got downstairs. And I heard... I didn't know. I didn't care. I knew only that I had to stop it before it happened to me again. Stop it! Stop it! Please stop it! Get out of here! Who told you to do your work here? Did someone tell you to make that noise near my house? Well, I, well, I know, ma'am. The lawnmower, the dang thing wasn't cut, and I had to get stop it. Get out! Go on! Get off this property at once! What? Well, yeah, Go and don't ever come sure. back! Do you hear? Don't ever come back! Don't ever come back! Morning, Miss Skinner. <laughs> Lovely day. I turned and ran right back to my living room. I stood shivering there in the beam of sunlight. I waited for him to come bursting into the room after me. I waited. And then the doorbell rang. Who is it? It's Miss Greg. Oh, just a moment. Did I disturb you? Oh, no, no, not at all. Then I will come in, but I can only stay a minute. Would you like some coffee? Oh, no, thank you. When I was so sick, you remember, the doctor absolutely forbid me having any more coffee. Oh, oh I, I didn't know that. Uh, uh, sit down, please. Do you drink much coffee? No. Why do you ask? Well, I thought perhaps your recent attacks might have been caused by that. Oh. Mr. Gregg is a great one for aspirin and salt tablets. I think it's much simpler than that. Cut out coffee. Well, I think my attacks were just caused by this heat. I plan a sea voyage. Oh, how splendid. That yes, will I... certainly fix you. Uh, I don't mean to be disrespectful, heaven knows, but perhaps on the boat you might meet a fine young man who... Well, perhaps. Uh, when do you plan to leave? This afternoon. I'm leaving from New York. Oh, you can't. Pardon? Why, the clubhouse, the unveiling ceremonies of this afternoon. Oh, I forgot. Well, you simply can't leave. We have no one who can replace you on the speaker's platform. Oh, well... Well, well, all right then, Mrs. Gregg. I'll stay for the ceremonies. I drove to the new clubhouse with Mr. and Mrs. Gregg. The building was really very lovely. It was almost ready for occupancy. We were unveiling a heroic figure which graced the entranceway. Our speaker's platform was built alongside the figure, and quite a few of the members and their families were sitting on the wooden benches in the front patio, waiting for the ceremonies to begin. 
Isn't this exciting? Yes, it is very. Ladies have done a marvelous job. Oh, thank you, Mr. Gray. Oh, what's that fellow doing up there? Where? Where? Oh, you see, up on the roof there. Oh. The workman. Yes. Yes, it makes me nervous to see people at such heights. He's awfully close to the edge, but he knows his business, I imagine. Yes, I suppose so. Well, I'm very anxious to hear your little talk, Mrs. Skinner. Well, thank you, Mr. And uh, I think you've managed admirably since you're unfortunate. Yeah. Well, you understand. Yes, yes, thank you. Well, I think we should get on with it, eh? Well, I, I believe it'll only be a few more minutes. What? What is it? What? What is it? Good heavens. Look, that workman, he's going to fall. Can someone catch him? He's hanging on the edge. Some of the men are running up there now. They've got I... to catch him. Oh, they will, they will. They've got... What? Oh, no. He's falling. Oh, no. Turn your eyes, ladies. Turn your eyes. Oh, I did it. What? I did it. Why not? I did it. I did it. I did it. I killed him. He's not hurt at all. I did Well, you're not hurt. Here, let me take you home, Mrs. Kennedy. Well, he's not hurt I killed him. Listen to me, don't you understand? Yeah, I understand. Yes. I killed him, Mr. Brown. Make yourself that noise, get you with it. I killed him. I killed him. I know. I know. It's going to be all right, you know. You just come along with me, that's all. Come on, Mr. Sign it, Jonathan? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shame. Yeah. People do funny things. Yeah. Uh, did you pay the fella? Mm-hmm. He's clever. Very clever. He sure is. I really thought he was falling off that building. Mm-hmm. Used to be an acrobat. Ah. Uh, how did he make that noise? Yeah. <laughs> he was holding tenpenny nails in his hands. Scraped them along the face of the building as he slid down. Did you think of that, too? Mm-hmm. Made an awful racket. Mm-hmm. That's pretty. Nice lady, you know. Yeah. What the devil are you doing? Hmm? Oh, uh, fixing my nails, I guess. Well, cut it out, will you? Sure. What's the matter with you? Noise makes me nervous, I guess. You know? Suspense. Presented by Roma Wines. R-O-M-A. Roma, America's favorite wines. This is Ken Niles returning for a curtain call with the brilliant star of tonight's suspense play, Agnes Moorhead. Apparently, Agnes, you're not superstitious. Accepting the lead in a play called The Thirteenth Sound on February 13th. Superstitions are no phobia with me, Ken, but I do have one. What is it? I refuse to give a party for 13 people. <laughs> yes, but even a 13th guest is in luck, Agnes, when you serve Roma Port. Ruby red, fragrant, nectar-sweet Roma California Port adds warmth to the welcome for everyone. And Roma Port is so easy to serve. You simply pour and hospitality reigns. Yes, Ken, Roma Port does make entertaining a pleasure. Not only that, Agnes, there's a difference you can taste in all Roma wines. 
And this better taste begins with the choicest grapes in all California. Then Roma's unmatched skill and winemaking resources guide these luscious grapes unhurriedly to tempting taste perfection. Later, Roma places this rich taste treasure with Roma wines of years before. And finally, Roma selects from the world's greatest wine reserves for your pleasure. Well, it's easy to see why Roma wines taste better, Ken. Yes, Agnes, and here's the most conclusive proof of all. A gift basket of Roma wines for you and your guests to enjoy with the compliments of Roma, the greatest name in wine. I'm delighted, Ken. Thank you very much. And good night. Tonight's suspense play was written by Kathy and Elliot Lewis. Next Thursday, same time, you will hear Anne Baxter as star of Suspense. Produced and directed by William Spear for the Roma Wine Company of Fresno, California. In the coming weeks, Suspense will present such stars as James Stewart, William Bendix, Eddie Bracken, and others. Make it a point to listen each Thursday to Suspense, radio's outstanding theater of thrills. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. In just a moment, Suspense, starring Agnes Moorhead. Hi, Hap. Hello, Ann. How are things? Couldn't be better. Except walking 12 blocks to your service station just isn't for me. You got my new spark plugs in? Just finished putting those brand new Autolite resistor spark plugs in your car. Guess she takes a big load off your arches, eh, Hap? <laughs> sure does. My feet have the pep, but not the pickup. <laughs> what are you listening to tonight? Well, it's Thursday, Hap. I'm listening to the Autolite Suspense Show. Never miss it. Well, here's where I rest my weary bones and listen to Agnes Moorhead. Hey, Hap, here comes Frank Martin, the Autolite salesman, to join us. Hello, Frank. Hi, Ed. Meet Hap Horton. Autolite spark plugs, batteries, and ignition systems. <laughs> the lifeline of your car. <laughs> well, thanks, Mr. Horton, for the assist. And wait until I give you the real lowdown on those brand-new Autolite resistor spark plugs Ed just put in your car. Say, they... Say it later, Frank. Here comes Agnes Moorhead. Suspense. Autolite and its 60,000 dealers and service stations bring you radio's outstanding theater of thrills. Starring tonight, Miss Agnes Moorhead, in a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. Today, everybody's switching to Autolite, and tonight, Autolite takes pleasure in presenting Anton Leder's production of the famous short story, The Yellow Wallpaper, starring Agnes Moorhead. I've never seen a worse wallpaper in my life. All those strangled heads and bulbous eyes and fungus growth seemed to shriek with derision. When we came to this house, the minute I saw it, I made up my mind secretly to start writing again in spite of them. But I don't dare let John know I'm keeping this journal. It's difficult being married to a doctor. John's an excellent doctor, I'm sure, but he's so inconsistent about me. He says I'm not really sick, that I'm only a little run down from caring for the baby, that I have a temporary nervous depression, 
Yeah, he prescribes phosphates or phosphites, I don't know which, and tonics and exercise. And he absolutely forbids me to work until I'm well again. He hates for me to write a word. But writing is such a relief to my mind. I can write down things, tell things here that... No, John says I'm not to brood about those things. I confess they make me feel bad, so I'll only write about the house. I saw it for the first time today. It's the most beautiful place. John rented it for the summer, and we drove up today, a perfect June morning. The bay and the white sails and people already in swimming, and then the shaded lane and the riotous old-fashioned flowers and the gnarly trees and the house. The house standing alone in the summer stillness. I could never tell John, but you know, the house spoke to me. It was only because he rattled on so that I couldn't hear what Reminded he... me of those English places you read about. Gardeners, cottages, and everything, and at only 200 a month. Hedges and walls and gates that lock, and there's a ghostliness. Remember, I rented it just for you, darling. And you're going to let Jenny do all the work while you live like, uh, well, like a prince. You like it, darling? Speak up. Yes, John. Yes, it's lovely, but it's strange, as though it might be haunted. <laughs> darling, you've got that look on your face again. That dopey look. Well, Jean is home. There's a station wagon. And if I know my dear sister, she's already turned the place inside out and cleaned it top to bottom. John, is it haunted, do you think? What? The house? Uh-huh. At 200 a month? Well, that's asking too much of faith. Come on. How about... You always laugh at anything you can't touch or see or put down in figures. There is something strange about the house, I think. If you weren't always imagining... I'm not imagining... One reason I don't get well is that you don't believe me. You don't even believe I'm sick. You tell my friends and relatives. I, I've heard you. I've heard you that there's nothing wrong with there you. There is nothing wrong there with you. Is you. Oh, I'm sorry. Please don't cry. Now, come along. <laughs> Let's go inside. And so I came into this house in tears. It was wrong. It was all wrong. Maybe the house saw me crying or this room... I got so unreasonably angry with John. I shouldn't, I know. He's so careful and loving, and I repay him so badly. I should control myself, at least in front of him. But it makes me so tired not to show what I feel. Jenny met us at the door. Naturally, she saw I'd been crying, but she took pains to ignore it. Well, hello, you two. You're early. You must have started at the crack of dawn. How was the trip? Made it in less than two hours. They're like his peas in a pod, Jenny and John. Both efficient and kind. And how did you bear up, Ted? Oh, very well, thank you, Jenny. Both kind and both somehow cruel. But I don't really think that. Well, you're just in time for lunch. I bought a flounder down at the wharf and cooked it with capers and cream. Sound good? Wonderful, Jenny. May I see the house first? The whole grand tour? Oh, Pet, the flounder will cook to death. Well, at least my room. Our room. (laughs) All right, if you insist. But if that fish is spoiled, don't blame me. Why would I blame her? Whose room is this, Jenny? Yours? Uh-huh, it's small, but it's near the door in the telephone. Oh, John, John, look. What? Let's take this one for you and me. I love those roses over the window. I've already put your things upstairs, Pet. Well, this has a little porch and such pretty old-fashioned chintz hangs. Let's well, you'll take love this. the room upstairs, darling. As you can see, there's no room in here for two beds. And I won't hear of being in separate rooms. I'm going to make you rest and take your tonic. John and I have talked it all over. And the room at the top of the house has so many windows. And you know, darling, you must absorb lots of fresh air. Get your appetite back. They smother me with concern. They crush me with kindness. Come along. (laughs) There's a good girl. (sighs) All right. You know what's best. And you're going to like that nursery. It gets loads of sunshine. 
up the steep, narrow stairs, two stories up to the very top of the house. There's a gate at the top that locks. I wonder why. And beyond the gate is the nursery room, this room. It is big and airy, nearly a whole floor with windows that look every way. They say it was a nursery. But what was it, really? Open them all, Jenny. Wide. All right. Well, darling? Why are the windows barred? Uh, for the little children. Otherwise, it wouldn't be safe. Oh, yeah. I suppose. Children climb around so, don't they? <laughs> what are those, those rings and things in the walls? Oh, I expect they made it into a gymnasium when the children got older. Uh, a sort of playground. Oh, they must have hated the wallpaper. <laughs> well, they were rough on it, that's for sure. The way they stripped it off in patches. I don't blame them. It's hideous. Oh, who wants to look at the wallpaper with this view? My, you can see the whole bay. It's a revolting color. It's unclean. Such a strange, sickish yellow there where the sun's faded it. I never saw worse paper in my life. Don't dramatize it, darling. You must be hungry, and I know you're tired. I'm not tired. Why do you both act this way? I say the wallpaper's ugly, and you look at each other. Your eyes shuttle back and forth, and suddenly you both act as though I'd lost my... Darling, that was something we weren't going to say. Be a good girl, pet. We don't act anyway. We just don't want you to worry. We want you to be well. It's true, that's all they want. John laughs at me, of course, but one expects that in marriage. And he says I have foolish fancies and he sometimes can talk them away, but not this time. No matter what he says, it's a smoldering, sulfurous, unclean, it's hideous wallpaper. No wonder the children scratched at it and stripped it down. No wonder they gouged the plaster with their little fingernails. No wonder they hate it. I hate it myself. And somehow... I feel it hates me. For suspense, Autolite is bringing you Miss Agnes Moorhead in the yellow wallpaper. Autolite's presentation of radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. Isn't she terrific? Yes, sir. Agnes Moorhead is always terrific. She sure is. Say, car sure sounds good. I couldn't resist stepping on the starter. You know, these new Autolite resistor spark plugs sure make this a contented car. Yep, and you got the first set in town. Well, right now you can get Autolite resistor spark plugs almost anywhere in the United States. It's sensational. Why, no other spark plug will give and maintain such performance. Ooh, sounds like a good sales story. Uh, where did the name Resistor come from, Mr. Morton? Autolite worked with leading car and truck manufacturers, and they ignition engineered a 10,000-ohm resistor right into the Autolite spark plug. That permits a wider spark gap setting and maintains it far longer than any other spark plugs. Mm-hmm. Actually, Mr. Horton, when you replace your narrow gap spark plugs with a set of wide gap Autolite resistor spark plugs, you can tell the difference in your car. That's right from the book, I'll bet, eh, Mr. Morton? Well, guess so. But here's the simple lowdown. As a result of the wide gap in the resistor spark plug, your engine idles smoother. You have better luck with lean gas mixtures and save gas. And within established limits, you reduce spark plug interference with radio and television reception. Yes, and today you can get the resistor spark plug from almost any of Autolite's 60,000 dealers. That's the biggest spark plug news in years. 
And now, Autolite brings back to our Hollywood soundstage Miss Agnes Moorhead as star in The Yellow Wallpaper, a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. We've been here two weeks, and I haven't felt like riding again since that first day. I'm sitting by the window now, up in this frightful nursery room. There's nothing to stop my riding as much as I please. John is away all day, and sometimes even at night if he has a serious case. I'm glad my case is not serious. But these nervous troubles can be depressing all the same. I cry at nothing and cry most of the time. John doesn't know how much I suffer. He knows there's no reason to suffer, and that satisfies him. I suppose John was never nervous in his life. He laughs at me so about this wallpaper. <laughs> no, I won't let you have your way, you silly goose. If we'd taken the room downstairs, you'd be seeing faces in the chin straight. Not faces. Look at that spot, John. And that one over there. Yes, I see. It's a repeating pattern. It's a broken neck with two bulging eyes staring at me upside down. <laughs> and to me, it's a climbing ivy or some kind of a vine. Take your choice. Could be anything. Besides, I can't repaper a room just for a three months' rental. Well, then let's move downstairs. Take me away from her. Don't you see, John? It hates me. <laughs> I wish I'd get well faster. Just use your will and your good sense, darling. I'm afraid. But you're so much better. When I married you, I meant to be such a help, and I'm only a burden. You are a help to me. You're my comfort. I can't even be with my baby. It makes me so nervous. Will I ever be well enough to see him again? Of course you'll be well, <laughs> if you try. Then I'll try, I promise. <laughs> From now on, I won't look at the wallpaper, and I'll stop seeing things out of the windows. Out the windows? I see people walking up and down the paths and in the arbors. I know it's silly, and it's only in certain lights when I look at the wallpaper from the bed that I see... See what? No, nothing. Nothing. No, you're right. There's nothing except a pattern. front pattern and an under pattern in a different shade of yellow. It dwells in my mind so. I lie on that great immovable bed. It's nailed down, I believe, and follow that pattern about by the hour. And then where it isn't faded and when the sun is just so, I see a strange, faint, formless sort of figure lurking, waiting behind that front design. I don't know why I should write like this day after day. I don't want to. I don't feel able. And I know John would think it absurd, but I must express what I feel and think in some way. It's such a relief. There are things in that wallpaper that nobody knows about but me. You know, there's a woman stooping down and creeping about behind that pattern. Last night it was moonlight, and the moon shines in all around just as the sun does. John was asleep, and I hated to waken him, so I, I kept still and watched the moonlight on the wall till I felt creepy. The woman behind the paper began to shake the pattern as if she wanted to get out. I got up softly and went and felt the paper to see if it did move. It moved. It moved, I'm sure of it. 
And the poor woman cried out as though her voice came a long way over water. Why, you up? Well, you shouldn't go walking around like that. You'll catch cold. The moonlight woke me. Uh, you are cold. You're shivering. John, I'm not really getting better. Won't you take me away? Our lease will be up in three weeks, darling. I, I don't see how we can leave before then. Of course, if you were in any danger, I would. But you really are better, dear, whether you see it or not. I'm a doctor, and I know. Oh, my appetite may be better in the evening when you're here, but it's worse in the morning when you're gone. Why, you're gaining flesh and color. Don't weigh a bit more, not even as much. Well, bless your little heart. You shall be as sick as you please. But let's go to sleep, huh? And talk about it in the morning. You won't go away? How can I, dear? And why should I, since you're better? Better in body, perhaps, but... Darling... For my sake and your sake and for the sake of our child, I beg you not to let that idea enter your head. Not for an instant. Can't you trust me as a doctor when I tell you it's a, a false and foolish idea? Answer me, darling. Don't you trust me? Yes, of course I trust you only. What? Oh, I'm sleepy. Let's go to sleep. But I didn't sleep. I lay there for hours trying to decide if the front pattern and the back pattern moved together or separately. At night, in the moonlight, the front pattern becomes bars. And the woman behind it shakes the bars. Yes, she shakes the bars as she creeps around. I lie down ever so much now. John says it's good for me and to sleep all I can. But you see, I don't sleep. And that cultivates deceit, for I don't tell them I'm awake. Oh, no. Fact is, I'm getting a little afraid of John. He seems very odd sometimes, and it strikes me that perhaps it's the yellow wallpaper. I like this room now. And life is much more exciting than it used to be. I have something more to expect, to look forward to to watch. And I really do eat better and I'm quieter than I was. John is pleased to see me improve. <laughs> you see? You're flourishing like a weed in spite of your wallpaper. Yes. <laughs> in spite of the wallpaper. In spite of it. Because of it. But I had no intention of telling him that. He might want to take me away, and I don't want to leave now until I found out. There's one week more, and I think that will be enough. There's a funny mark on the wall, low down near the mop board. A streak that runs around the room, goes behind every piece of furniture except the bed. A long, straight, even smudge as if it had been rubbed over and over and over. How was it done? Who did it? What did they do? Round and round. Round and round. Round. It makes me dizzy. <laughs> 
have really discovered something at last. There are a great many women behind the pattern, and sometimes only one, and she creeps around fast, and her creeping shakes the pattern. She's trying to climb through and can't because the pattern strangles everything. But she does get out in the daytime, I know because I've seen her. When a car comes, she hides in the blackberry vines. I don't blame her, I'd hide too. I always lock the door when I creep by daylight. There are only two days left to tear this paper off and let the woman out in the room. And John's beginning to take notice. I don't like the look in his eyes or the way he talks with Jenny about me. I overheard them. She isn't sleeping nights, Jenny. She's quiet, but I know she's awake. Well, it's a little wonder she sleeps the whole blessed day. Well, maybe I ought to call in another doctor. No, it's just stubborn, Miss John. She's determined to prove you're wrong. <laughs> I suppose you're right. Oh, I'm sure she can prove it. Oh, darling. Well, hello, Ted. How you creep about? Well, that's a funny thing to say, Jenny. It isn't I who creeps. Jenny says you stay in your room too much. You don't take your exercise. You tell me to rest, and then you tell me to take exercise. I can't do both. Well, though I can't see through them. Tomorrow's our last day here. We'll talk about exercise when I get you back to town. I'll have to rouse you out of bed pretty early, Pet. You know, some of that furniture up there belongs downstairs, and the movers will be here at nine. Maybe, uh, maybe you'll sleep upstairs tonight, Jenny. Uh, so you won't be alone, darling. You won't be here tonight, John? Well, not until tomorrow evening. Uh, there's a difficult case. If you're going to feel lonesome... Oh, no, I... Jenny. I'll rest better alone, I'm sure of it. Thank you all the same. That was clever of me. The sly thing. I won't be alone a bit. As soon as the moon shone in, the poor thing behind the paper began to crawl and shake the pattern. I ran to her. I pulled, and she shook. I shook, and she pulled. In my morning, we peeled off yards and yards of yellow wallpaper, a strip about as high as my head and half around the room. When Jenny came up in the morning, she looked at the wall in amazement. You know why I did it, Jenny? Just to spite the vicious thing. Why are you so surprised? Oh, I, I, I'm not. <laughs> Why, I wouldn't mind doing it myself. But you mustn't tire yourself, Pet. She wouldn't mind doing it. Why don't you come downstairs and lie down? How she betrayed herself, that Jenny. She wouldn't mind doing it. But I'm here and no person touches this paper but me. Not alive. I've locked the door and thrown the key down into the front path. I don't want anybody to come in till John comes. I want to surprise him. And I've got a rope up here. Even Jenny doesn't know that. If the woman gets out from behind the pattern and tries to run away, I can tie her securely to one of the rings in the wall. Wallowing seaweeds. Oh, it'll strangle her unless I help. Wait, 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 I'll help you. I'll peel off the paper all I can. Wait, wait, be patient. You, you, you push. You push it out, Paul. Oh, it, it sticks horribly to the plaster. I can get it off with my teeth. Oh, 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 it hurts. But I'm getting it. I'm getting it. <laughs> 
wonder if they all came out of the wallpaper, as I did. I think they did. But I have you securely tied by my rope now. You'll never get away. But I don't want to get away. It's so pleasant to be out in this great room to creep about as I please. It's so pleasant. But I suppose I'll... I'll have to get back behind the pattern when night comes. That will be hard to do. Well, it's... It's better than going outside. I won't go outside, even if Jenny asks me to. For outside, I have to creep on the ground where everything is green instead of yellow. And here, I can creep smoothly on the floor. Listen. Listen, she's coming now. John at the door. Open the door, darling. Open it, please, dear. Now he does clown and shout. No use, Dr. John. You can't open it. Open it, do you hear me, dear? Open it. Jenny, bring me the axe. Oh, no, he'll break down the beautiful door. John, dear, the key's down in front of the house under a plantain leaf. It's down by the front door, John. Open the door, for heaven's sake, open it. I can't. I can't. The key's downstairs, John. It's under a plant and leaf by the front steps. It's under a plant and leaf, John. Go and see. Go and see. You'll you'll find it if you look. You'll find it. There. There. He's gone to look. The wallpaper has stopped laughing. The evil thing. Now I can creep slowly, smoothly on the floor. Round and round, round and round and round. And my shoulder just fits into that long smudge on the wall so I can't lose my way. Oh, oh he's coming back. He's running on the stairs. How astonished he'll be. I've got out at last, John. Out? Out yes, from... out in spite of you and Jenny. I pulled down the paper. I, sh- I shook the pattern and pushed and pulled it down. It stuck horribly. But you'll never, you'll never put me back. You'll never put me back. You're so pale, John. Why do you close your eyes? You are. Watch how swiftly I creep around in this lovely yellow room. Fainted? Now why should that man have fainted? But he did. And right across my path by the wall so that I have to creep over him every time. Round and round and round and round and round. 
Thank you, Agnes Moorhead, for a magnificent performance. Miss Moorhead will be back in just a moment. Oh, what a show. That Agnes Moorhead's really some actress. Well, I guess I better head for home in Motherland. Okay. Oh, yes. say, Mr. Martin, can you give me those simple words of yours again? My boy Billy pesters me with slogans. You bet, Mr. Horton. When you replace your narrow-gap spark plugs with a set of wide-gap Autolite resistor spark plugs, you can tell the difference in your car. For example, your engine idles smoother. You have better luck with leaner gas mixtures and save gas. And within established limits, you reduce spark plug interference with radio and television reception. So, switch to Autolite, because... Autolite means resistor spark plugs. Ignition engineered spark plugs. Autolite means batteries. Stay full batteries. Autolite means ignition system. The lifeline of your car. And now here again is Miss Agnes Moorhead. It's always a great pleasure for me to appear on Suspense. I've thoroughly enjoyed this appearance this evening. And next week, when I turn listener again, I'll join the rest of you to welcome Mr. Charles Lawton's return to these microphones in a role written especially for him. Next week, then, An Honest Man, starring Charles Lawton, on... Suspense. Agnes Moorhead may soon be seen in the Warner Brothers production, Johnny Belinda. Tonight's suspense play was adapted for radio by Sylvia Richards from an original story by Charlotte Perkins Gilman. Music was composed by Lucian Morrowick and conducted by Lud Gluskin. The entire production was under the direction of Anton M. Leader. Next Thursday, same time, you will hear Mr. Charles Lawton in An Honest Man. Autolite Suspense Show saying good night. Switch to Autolite. This is CBS, where 99 million people gather every week, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Well, guys, that does it for Miss Agnes Moorhead and her performance on the show for tonight. If you liked the show, please comment and subscribe, guys. You can now follow me on your favorite podcast platforms such as Spotify, Google, Apple, and wherever else you get your podcast. Just type in Mystery and Comedy Old Time Radio Podcast. And it should put my podcast right up. Join me later on tonight, guys, as I bring back to the show Mr. and Mrs. Ozzy and Harriet Nelson in The Adventures of Ozzy and Harriet. I hope you guys have a wonderful night. And once again, guys, thanks. Thanks.